Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, I've been so encouraged the last number of weeks. Um, I've had a, a number of people come up to me and tell me that they've been encouraged by listening to our podcast uh, online. So thank you, Adam, for making sure that that gets up each and every week. We were in a teaching series called Heresies and Half-Truths, where we were kind of exposing dangerous uh, teachings, dangerous kind of uh, threads of doctrine that have woven their way into evangelicalism and, and things that I feel strongly as a pastor I need to warn us about, to be on guard. But one of the things that I shared was that it, it's somewhat taxing to continue looking at everything that's wrong without emphasizing heavily that which is right. And so uh, a few weeks ago, we, we branched off, and uh, not to say that we're done with heresies and half-truths indefinitely. Uh, I do think that there's more. That's probably an ongoing thing is wind of doctrines change. Um, but I was really overwhelmed with what is the church's response to everything that is crazy, everything that is wrong, everything that is trying to kind of... Uh, pass for Christianity in our culture, and the, the simple answer, the simple response to that is the message of the cross. We resolve to be like Paul, who said that I, 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 don't, I, I desire nothing more than to preach Christ crucified, right? We've been looking at, at the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians the last couple of weeks and really kind of examining and exploring the message of the cross, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ that God became a man, that he died a horrific death at the hands of those he came to save. And not only did he die, he rose again with a promise and an invitation into life and life abundantly with him. Right? We, we know this. It's Christianity 101. It's the, it's the, it's the foundation. It's the building blocks. This is, this is as simple as Christianity gets here in the fact that God so loved the world that he died to save them. Right? That's what we've been talking about, the, the message of the cross. And so uh, Paul's charge to the church in Corinth and to the church at large, I believe, is to keep the message of the cross, the central message of the church. It's something that the Corinthian church was struggling with. If you read First and Second Corinthians, you, you realize there's a, there's a quick picture, there's a quick kind of portrayal of a church that had started off well, but had a lot of issues. <laughs> and when I say a lot of issues, there, there were a lot of issues. <laughs> um, we're not going to go into all of those this morning, but Paul's answer to divisions in the church, his answer to sexual immorality in the church, his answer to strife and disorder in the church was preach the cross, preach Jesus and preach his love. And so comes back to this place of the message of the cross. And so last week we began to dig a little bit more into this message of the cross. And we explored the ramifications of it. And we really looked at it as God's ultimate display of love for humanity. Right? Um, 
we, uh, <laughs> I wrote this down, that we dug a little deeper to rightly define the cross as the ultimate expression of God's love toward mankind in contrast with the cross being the pinnacle of human hatred towards Jesus, right? We, we looked at that comparison. We looked at that contrast last week that what man kind of deemed as the height of his hate and rebellion towards God to where we would crucify him, God seemingly, uh, not just seemingly, he did turn that on its edge and demonstrated his love for us, right? It's Romans 5.8, that's where we were at last week, that he demonstrates his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's been... Uh, I don't know if necessarily fun is the right word that I want to use, but I still stand by this conviction that if we never preach another thing here other than the fact that Jesus died for you, <laughs> um, I'd be confident that we are preaching the most important message that humanity could ever hear. Um, you guys know my boys, right? You've seen them running around. You probably saw them hanging off of Braden this morning. I have a two-year-old, his name is Simeon, and a five-year-old whose name is Phineas. And uh, I love these kids. Uh, I, I can say literally more than life itself. Um, I, I, I honestly say I, I can't imagine there being something that I wouldn't do to ensure their safety and their well-being. It's the heart of the Father. I know many of you have experienced that here, that there is something intrinsic in the heart of parents that we would so desire to do what's best for our kids. At least most of us. I understand there's anomalies out there. I understand that there are uh, parents that don't think this way. But I think even in our culture, it's something that is esteemed as a good thing of parents that are ensuring the best for their kids. You know, I read stories and like Reader's Digest and stuff, and I, I experienced this somewhat firsthand when I was in Kenya, of parents that are literally sacrificing everything to ensure the betterment of their children where they're working horrific jobs, they're, they're kind of, they're putting themselves in danger in order to raise enough money to put their kids in a better school to ensure that they might have a better chance at having a good life. Have you guys experienced this? Have you seen this? You, you guys are connecting maybe with what I'm expressing here. And I, I think there's something about this. If we're not careful, we can misconstrue Jesus' sacrifice on the cross to mean something similar in that regard. You see, we can look at Jesus dying on the cross, his suffering, his pain, enduring the cross, if you will, as not just a way for eternal life for us, but our ticket to a better and an easier life. I know that I've encountered this kind of thinking with people that have said yes to Jesus so that they might have an easier life. They might experience a better life. They treat coming to Jesus. They treat uh, embracing Jesus and saying yes to Jesus. Is, How are you going to make life better for me? And uh, I, I want to be clear here, because in this sacrificial like parent scenario where we kind of paint Jesus in this light, um, 
we, uh, we have this picture that Jesus endures the cross and its suffering so that we don't have to. The thing is, Jesus didn't die on the cross, so you wouldn't have to. And I say this because that probably flips all your kind of evangelism scripts on its head, and it doesn't really make sense when I say that. You're saying, if Jesus died on the cross, so I didn't have to, what do you mean? I 100% believe that he took the wrath of God on the cross, so we wouldn't have to embrace the wrath of God. I believe that Jesus stood in our place and paid a price that we could not pay, in order to reconcile us to God. But I do think that this is true. Um, I, I think he spared us from the wrath of God, but I don't believe he spared us from death on a cross. And I'm, I'm going to explain what I mean here in just a minute. When I was in high school, there was this popular metal band called For Today. Uh, a little, little known fact about Adam and I, your pastors here at this church, we were pretty wild. We were pretty crazy back in the day, uh, at least in the music that we listened to. Um, and uh, you'd probably be appalled, shocked uh, at some of the things that I did at a concert. <laughs> um, I was very much into the metal scene, but there was this one band called For Today, and they, they were Christians, and they were really good, and they were really passionate about their faith. And I think one of the things that Adam and I noticed is that a lot of these Christian bands that we grew up going to see when we were in high school and in post-high school and this music that we followed, I, I think Adam has probably shared from the pulpit before here that he thought that he was going to be in a metal band and that's how he was going to serve Jesus. And uh, we all thank God that he delivered us from that uh, kind of uh, thought process. We grew up... Um, but one of the things that I've noticed is a lot of these metal bands, these Christian metal bands, that, one, they're not Christians anymore, and those that were uh, stopped and stepped out of the music scene, and they're now all pastoring churches, the ones that were really like serious about the Lord. So some of my favorite musicians from back in the day are now pastoring churches, and it's really encouraging in that light. So uh, it's equal parts encouraging and discouraging because I see these men of God uh, that are pastoring churches that used to be in the metal scene and they were really trying to do something for the Lord. Uh, and then we see all these other bands that I really thought were like, man, these guys are full of the Holy Spirit. They're awesome. And they've completely abandoned the faith. Um, just an observation. I didn't have that in my notes, so I don't know why I'm reading it that way. Um, <laughs> but I say this because I was talking about a band called For Today. Um, and the, the lead singer of this band, his name was Maddie Montgomery. He's a pastor today. I don't know, somewhere in the South, North Carolina, South Carolina, Alabama. Uh, not here. Uh, he's a pastor of a, a church now. But I remember he always had these kind of provocative and intense phrases that he would throw out. His lyrics were very much kind of cut you to the core. And one of the things that he would say um, and he would quote pretty frequently, was that Jesus didn't die on the cross, so you wouldn't have to. He did it to show you how it's done. And even as a young teenager, that's kind of been framed in my mind, and I think that that's an appropriate segue for us to look at Scripture this morning and see what he's actually getting at. And so turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. This is where we're going to be hanging out as we continue to talk about the message of the cross today. In Luke 9, 23, 
This is going to be the main verse that we're focusing on. And we're only actually going to get to a part of it today. I've got more that I'm going to explore just off of this one verse in uh, the upcoming weeks and the upcoming messages. But I'm going to try to focus and rein it in on just this verse today um, and some of the implications that it has for us. But Luke 9.23 says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I believe to follow Jesus, it requires us to daily deny ourselves and take up our cross. Now, before we begin breaking down these words of Jesus, the implications for us here today, I want to remind us of a few things as we read this passage of Scripture. How many of you guys know context is important? Yes, when we're reading the Bible, context is important. Um, the first thing I, I would really like to think about is the chronological order of what Jesus is saying here, of when he said it. He said this pre-crucifixion. And while I understand that after Jesus' death and resurrection, this verse probably took on even a, a greater meaning to his followers and to those of us that are reading it now, I believe that there was an immediate applicable context for what Jesus was saying to his disciples here and now before he ever died on a cross, before he ever took up his own cross and modeled it for them. Does that make sense? I believe that there was something that was being shared here, and I, I think understanding that chronological point here, that Jesus is saying this to his followers before he dies, um, has some implications that we're going to unravel here in just a second. But in order to understand that application, I believe we have to understand what first, the first century kind of Jewish reaction would be to the cross. And I think a helpful way for us to do that is to start by um, maybe looking at what Jesus didn't mean. How many of you guys have had in some kind of context uh, heard the phrase, it's just my cross to bear? Or, or maybe somebody's told that, maybe you used it, it's your cross to bear uh, or, or something like that. You know, many people interpret cross differently than the first century Jew would interpret cross. You see, uh, sometimes we boil it down to just simply a burden that people carry in their lives, whether it be a strained relationship, uh, maybe you have a terrible job that you're just kind of suffering through, um, maybe you have a physical illness or something like this, uh, and we just kind of, you know, have this pity about us where we say, uh, it's just the cross I have to carry. Um, I want to, I want to make sure that none of us make the mistake this morning of allowing that interpretation to go into this verse of scripture. The, the fact that uh, um, Jesus didn't mean that, that that wasn't something that he kind of allowed room for when we're reading this passage of scripture, when he instructs us to take up our cross and follow him. You see, in Jesus's day, the cross only really had one connotation. It really only had one kind of meeting. Today, in, in Christian symbolism, and because of uh, you know the the millennia of years that Christianity has been around, and we have crosses everywhere. We wear them around our necks. We've got them up on the stage here. You know, it almost becomes more symbolic uh, with forgiveness and atonement and these uh, charity and, and and these kind of abstract concepts. 
But in the mind of a first century Jew, the cross only meant one thing, and that was a torturous, horrendous death. It meant suffering. It meant, uh, it had this picture that you were a criminal that was convicted of death. And the Romans would force convicted criminals to carry their own crosses, or at least a part of the cross, mainly the, the, the cross beam, to the place of crucifixion. To carry one's cross literally meant to publicly carry one's own device of torture and execution, all the while facing shame and ridicule from the community around you. And I say this because I, I don't want us to mistake this morning uh, the, the call to carry our cross as some kind of symbolic thing or, or metaphorical thing in, in terms of, you know, you just have a heavy burden. You have a hardship in your life that you're called to carry. I don't believe that's what Jesus is getting at here. And I think to paint it into a, a more kind of specific light, if we read the whole context of Luke chapter 9, we'll begin in verse 18. I think it'll give us some clarification here. It says, and it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him, him being Jesus. And he asked them saying, who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah and others that one of the old prophets has risen again. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Notice, it's in the context of him talking about his death that this verse enters the scene. Forever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. I think there's an important thing to note here that, that really uh, messes with a lot of people's kind of version of Christianity that's really popular right now. The recognition of Jesus as Christ, the recognition of Jesus as the Messiah that Peter, Peter does in these first few verses is good. It's the entry point into the Christian life, is it not? Right? We, you, you can't follow Jesus. You can't say yes to Jesus without first recognizing him as Savior. But I think too many people stop there. You see, we have people that are willing to confess Jesus with their mouth as Christ, but are unwilling to continue on in these few verses to where they actually follow Jesus by the way that they live. I believe this is the number one problem of what passes for Christianity in our culture. We have people who are quick to embrace Jesus as Savior. Many on the promise that saying yes to Jesus will result in an easier, better way of life. It's almost as if God is like the UPS man, right? What can Brown do for you, right? That's their slogan. That's still their slogan, right? And uh, 
It's almost like, what can God do for you? Not how do we please the Lord, but what's in it for me? Mentality, and we see here immediately after Peter's confession of Jesus being the Christ, Jesus begins to talk about dying. Not only that, but he says that we have to die too. We see this kind of progression here where Jesus says, guess what? Yes, I'm the Christ. Just let's not go tell everybody that because you've got to understand this. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to rise again. <laughs> but then he gives this instruction to his followers immediately after, immediately after saying that he's going to die. If anyone desires to come after me, he's going to have to deny himself. He's going to have to take up his cross daily and follow me. And goes on to talk about whoever desires to save their life will lose it. It's pretty intense. It's pretty heavy stuff. It's not exactly the best PR strategy, am I right? Somebody should talk to Jesus about like, man, if you really want a bunch of people to follow you, if you really want to kind of, you know, do this like religious leader thing, maybe like do donuts and coffee and, and, and something else. But like, you're just telling people that the most horrendous way to die that they would have comprehended in that age. Nothing would be more terrible than a Roman crucifixion for a Jew. And, and all of a sudden you're using this imagery here to, to get me, to convince me that I should follow you? Like, where's the promise of like, you know, a, a big family? Where's the promise of wealth and fame and popularity? Where are these things that, that man, would actually like sweeten the deal a little bit? <laughs> That's not how Jesus leads. He talks about denying oneself, right? I believe that the message of the cross here is one of dying to oneself, to one's wants, to one's desires, one's will, in exchange for that of Jesus' wants, of Jesus' desires, of Jesus' will for our life. And so I want to I break this down. If, if there's one thing that we're focusing in on this morning, it's what it means to deny ourselves, to deny yourself, because this is a central theme to the gospel message. This is a central theme to following Jesus it's important here because the very essence, the very basic application of discipleship is found in this verse here. Jesus is saying, if you're going to be my disciple, these two things are necessary. You have to deny yourself and you have to take up your cross daily. They're not options for those that claim to be followers of Jesus. If we are truly following Jesus, these things will be uh, 100% evident in our day-to-day -day life. I think it's, it's very important that we don't uh, kind of try to just sidestep this one. The first step in following Jesus, the first step here in being a disciple of Jesus is to deny oneself. Doesn't that stand in such defiance of what the culture says is appropriate today? Doesn't that just stand in complete and utter contradiction to the do-what-you-want mentality of society right now? Right? Everybody says, hey, follow your heart. Do what feels right for you. 
If you want to be a different gender, just do it, right? Like that's just do what you want. If you, if you want to have, I, I have a friend, uh, an acquaintance, I guess. Uh, we were friends in high school who just came out as like heteronormative something polyamorous. I mean, he had more definitions to describe his sexuality than uh, Adam and I had to look them up in the dictionary because we had no idea what any of these meant. There was like six or seven words, but long story short is that uh, him and his wife now just say, hey, we'll just, we want to have a relationship with anybody and everybody. An open marriage is kind of the thing because it feels good and I feel satisfied. And I feel pleased. And that's what our culture says should be the driving uh, mentality behind what we do. Does it feel good? Right? Does it bring pleasure? Does it bring joy? Because if it doesn't bring you pleasure, then it shouldn't be in your life. I, I, I have to be honest with you. That is nonsense today. Because not every good thing in your life brings pleasure. Or not every, yeah, not every good thing in your life brings pleasure. Um, and not every pleasurable thing is good. Does that make sense? It's like broccoli. <laughs> I, I like broccoli too. I ate a bunch of broccoli last night, like just raw broccoli, and it was really good. It was like some of the best broccoli I had. I don't know why I said that, but is there somebody in here that doesn't like broccoli? Come on, for the sake of, thank you. It's still good though. I'm glad somebody was able to be an example for me this morning. You may not like it, but that doesn't change the fact that it's not good. Kale, on the other hand, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still trying to figure that out. But <laughs> coming back to what we're talking about here, you know, culture, culture right now and uh, the leading kind of thoughts of the day are, you know, you do you right? I often joke about it's the treat yourself mentality of do, do what's good for you, put yourself first, and then let everything else kind of figure it out. But that's it, the antithesis of the gospel message, to deny oneself, to take up your cross and follow Jesus. I get it, it's not popular. I get that that doesn't just immediately like pique your interest and say, yeah, that's what I want to do. Um, because it's contrary to human nature. It's contrary to kind of our self-preservation instincts, right? It, we want to do what feels good. But at the end of the day, I believe God knows what's better for us than we do. Amen. This is where it begins to play out in what self-denial actually looks like. And so it's important to note before one can carry his cross... You have to deny yourself. This is what Jesus modeled for us in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? In Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, Jesus was praying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He's saying, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want, God. He models this for us. He goes on in Philippians chapter 2. He, he humbles himself and becomes obedient even to the point of death, death on the cross, is how Paul would phrase that in Philippians chapter 2. We see this model of willing obedience where Jesus is stepping aside from what he wants, right? Because wanting something isn't sinful. I want you to be, I want to be clear here. Having desires 
like this is not sinful. Jesus even had things that he wanted that he had to say no to, right? He models it for us. And I believe this, that we cannot carry both the cross and our own self-will. We cannot have two masters. In order to take up our cross, we must be emptied of ourself. Otherwise, we're just suffering for no uh, beneficial reason. Today, we must... uh, I should stick to my notes. (laughs) I think think, uh, we're far more prone today to preach a message of denying the cross and taking up ourselves rather than we are to deny ourselves and taking up the cross. If there, was a, if there was a way to kind of thematically put that upon the, the, the culture's message to people today, I think it's one, deny Jesus, deny the cross, deny uh, self-sacrifice, and really take up yourself and look out for your own best interests. But that's not what following Jesus is about, is it? It's flipped on its head. You see, the Greek verb translated here as to deny is a perinome. And for those of you that speak Greek, please don't correct me. Just let me feel like I'm smart here for a second. <laughs> but it's the same Greek word. I know how to use a lexicon, and uh, I can do that. But I have no idea on the pronunciation of Greek words. And so uh, call me out, preferably not in the middle of a sermon. But I would love to learn. But it's the same Greek word here, this word that's used for to deny. It's the same word that uh, is actually used with Peter's denial of Jesus. And I don't know about you, this might be helpful for some of you because, uh, well, very much uh, self-denial here um, is, is a thing. And I believe there's an application for it in the context of everything here. But what Jesus is talking about when he's saying deny yourself, he's not just saying like forsake every pleasurable thing, go and live by yourself as kind of some monastic father in the wilderness, denying yourself of pleasure, denying yourself of food, denying yourself of drink and everything that enjoyable and really suffer for my namesake. That isn't the the context of what Jesus is saying here when he's saying deny yourself. Um, And I'm saying that carefully because I believe there's an aspect of that. In fact, one of the things that we're going to talk about in the upcoming weeks are some of the practical applications of what it looks like to deny yourself and take up your cross. I believe one of those things is fasting. Ooh, the Christian four-letter F word, right? (laughs) Nobody really wants to talk about that in church. But really, there is this aspect of actually not eating uh, and forsaking pleasure in order to press into the heart of God that I think is imperative. I think it's important to the Christian faith and the Christian walk. But all of that coming back to here, uh, Jesus isn't just talking about, hey, you need to make sure that uh, you deny yourself of every pleasurable thing, that everything that's pleasurable is evil, and stop doing that. That's that's not the heart, that's not the context of what's going on here. This word to deny, this aparanoime, is actually the same word used to describe Peter's denial of Jesus. It's to kind of disconnect from, it's to deny association with. Um, the way that uh, uh, what we're talking about here is not simply the denial of pleasures, but rather an intentional disowning of oneself. 
And so I hope this kind of helps paint some, uh, paint some things into a clear light. Um, because we're not just talking about a life void of pleasures, um, and that's how we please God. Um, we're not talking about denying oneself things. We're talking about denying, we're talking about denying oneself entirely. And it's more about this word allegiance than it is about just forsaking things. Who is our primary allegiance to? Jesus, to the way of the cross, or ourselves? You see, I believe Jesus is describing the willingness to lay one's life, one's right, down in exchange for the cross. The message of self-denying, message of taking up a cross, is of great necessity because Jesus himself describes them as the basic daily requirements for discipleship. Notice the emphasis there on daily. I remember being in ministry school and uh, one of the popular things that my pastor would say was that uh, he had to daily crucify his old man because his old man resurrects. I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but there are things, there are aspects about Nate Ward, my, my, pre, my pre-Jesus days, my BC days, that like to rear their heads sometimes, that flesh, that carnal nature, those, those, uh, those things that, you know, I was used to be passionate about. They still rear their heads sometimes. They still kind of try to resurrect up out of that casket. And it's important that we crucify the flesh daily. It's a continual thing that we have to be committed to, not just a kind of a one and done mentality. Does that make sense? Um, And I believe that we are continually faced with an important decision on whether or not we will deny ourselves or we'll deny the cross. I believe every interaction, I believe every moment, every time we have a conversation with someone, we have an opportunity to take a step further uh, towards the cross or in response to uh, the well-being of ourselves. And so without getting into next week's sermon uh, super quickly here, (laughs) I think we're left with this question of how. How do we actively deny ourselves something that is so not in our nature to do, right? We, we, we understand that. It's not, it's not natural for a human being to say, you know what, I don't want to, uh, you know, I, I want to watch out for my own well-being. I want to put myself in charge. I want to I make sure that I'm in the first place, (laughs) not the Lord. How do we do that? Now, I want to get into some practicals on things that we can implement that will help us crucify the flesh. We're going to talk about some of these things. Paul uses crazy language in Scripture, guys. Man, you you read some of these things, and they make excellent lyrics to metal songs, if I'm being honest. And I came out of some crazy stuff. But if, uh, if I had one point here before I jump into this, I do believe Jesus' death on the cross served to model for us an example 
of willingly and sacrificially laying ourselves down to put our selfishness out of the way, to stop looking out for our own interests and what matters to us and exchange them for God's perfect will for our lives. I believe that's modeled in the cross. I believe that it's a call to come and die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, we've got some people here from Germany. Woo! Um, I guess not from Germany. Michael just got back from Germany. Anyway, whatever. Uh, you know, his famous book, right? Uh, the Cost of Discipleship. He's got a famous quote in there is that um, the call, man, I'm going to butcher it now. I should have wrote it down or something like that. But uh, the call to come and follow Jesus is a call to come. He says, I bid you come and die. I'm butchering the quote. Um, should have had it brought up. Should have put it in my sermon. Uh, all of this to say, to follow Jesus, to intentionally follow Jesus, beyond just recognizing him as Savior, beyond just recognizing him as Christ, as Messiah, but to actually follow him requires a costly sacrifice on our end. And that is the exchange of everything that we are. And now it seems hard, it seems difficult, and the cost is high, but I can guarantee you it's 100% worth it in the long run. And I, I was just, I felt, I felt compelled here, friends, to end with this passage of scripture in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, in Galatians 5, 24, it says this, and those, who have, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you're going to be found as one who identifies with Christ, as a follower of Jesus, we understand that the flesh has to be crucified with its passions and desires. We see this imagery here of a life willingly laid down, of our wants and our desires exchanged for that of the Lord. But how do we do that? We don't just, that's not natural, right? That's not just something that we can like push a button and say, you know what, I'm going to do that. It only happens with the help of the Holy Spirit. And Galatians chapter 5 here, this whole last segment, this whole last chunk deals with what it means to actually walk in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read verse 16 and just the rest of this chapter here because I think it, it's so pertinent to what we're talking about. But Paul says this, Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousness, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, oh my gosh, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I do, as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Those 
who are Christ's have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We could spend a lot of time here breaking down all of these verses, and that's a, probably a sermon series and a half somewhere else. A very simple way to put this is if Jesus is going to be both your Savior and Lord, you can no longer be Lord over your own life. Too many of us simply cheese, cheese Jewish, uh, choose Jesus as some kind of supplement to what we've already got going on. We want to add Jesus to what's already taking place in our life. And we so just want to like, you know what? My life is hard. My life is difficult. I don't have a lot of money. It's hard raising kids. It's hard going to work every day. My mental health is just imploding. And we kind of present this message of Jesus as, have you tried Jesus? Because it'll make things easier. And I don't want to kind of lighten or or dismiss the power of the gospel or what Jesus is actually able to do. Because 100%, you have issues, you have problems. He comes and he can make things better. He does. He did for me. But that isn't the way that we, can, that isn't the way we come to Jesus and how we treat him. Because there also is the promise that there will be suffering. There will be hardships. Those are the promises that Jesus, you know, we don't, we sing songs like, all of your promises won't let go of me, right? And we don't think about the promises of Jesus where he promised that if anyone desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. Or that in this world, we will have trouble. These things that are very much a real aspect of the Christian faith, a real aspect of what we have to face. Friends, I, I so desire that we're not just making Jesus Savior without making him Lord. I think that is a great travesty that too many people fall into, that the church has kind of made mistaken where we say, just say this prayer and all is good. We have crusades and we try to convince people, yes, acknowledge Jesus as the Christ. That's good. I'm not trying to diminish that, but we can't stop there. I had this whole segment in here where I was going to talk about marriage and how I thought I was a pretty decent human being until I got married. I didn't really consider myself as like this super selfish guy until I had to like share my bathroom sink. I don't know if anybody's been there, right? Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. 
If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.